You're listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. If you're new to Oaks, uh, generally our, our practice here is to, is to teach through uh, books of the Bible and um, work our way through that. And the reason why, there's actually a lot of reasons why, but one of those is that you, um, you, you end up teaching passages that you may not ordinarily pick. All right. So like doing what I do, um, there's a certain point during the week where you're like, all right, what, what are we going to going to look at. Now, if we're preaching right through a book, then we just preach whatever's next, uh, whether it's easy or not. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you're not doing that, you can kind of just pick the highlights, pick your favorite parts. And you don't want to know what my favorite parts are. You want to know what the word says, because who cares what I think about it? And so this morning, we're in Luke chapter 16. We came to Luke chapter 16 and uh, started looking at this thing, and the entirety of Luke's chapter 16, uh, Luke's making one point. Jesus is making one point, like Luke's explaining this to us all the way down through there, which means i got to walk you through an entire chapter of the book of Luke today, which is not what I would normally sign up for if it's just me, you know what I'm saying? So we got work to do today, all right? So if you got a, like a pen, you got something to write with, we're going to go hard. This is one of those, like, you know, if you've done a sport, there's some days you have light days. This is not a light day, all right? This is, the, this, is, this is heavy day. And then we're going to run some sprints at the end of it, okay? That's, that's how we're going to go this morning. So Luke chapter 16, if you got a copy of God's Word, that's where we're going to be. So while you're turning there, one time, I, I lived in Huntsville before this for about 10 years. I was in, was in Huntsville. I'm a Tuscaloosa native, grew up here. I was in Texas for like three, and then I was in Huntsville for 10. And uh, I was a student pastor and kind of did college stuff and, and the whole time that I was in, college, uh, in, in Huntsville. And uh, one time Jessica and I were leaving town. It was before we had kids. And so we thought our dogs were supremely important. Before you have actual kids, you think your dogs are kids. And then you have kids and you realize your dogs don't matter. Um, but that doesn't hit. That didn't hit. You can't get it until you have actual live human beings to take care of. Um, and so like, we, we, we had people stay at our house with our dogs uh, every time we left. Right, like, oh, you need to spend the night with them. You need to like snuggle them. You know, like, you need to like pat them on the head six times an hour or something. Like, we had those kind of people. So one time, I had some a college students spend the night over my house. You know, house sit for us to watch the dogs, and then you know, they ask how it went at the end of it, and they said everything was fine, quiet, not a big deal. Well, about a couple weeks later, um, another another college kid was was talking to me about it, and they're like, "Man, your dogs are fast. Like, your dogs really like really quick. You know, like, I, it's just crazy how fast that dog is." And, I was like, I don't, I don't know how you know that, you know? And then like, oh, I'm like, I actually got a video of it. I got a video of it. And then I was like, oh, okay. How did you video my dog, you know? Pulls his phone out and uh, shows me a video of like 20 college students having a party in my house, chasing my dog around with that one kid who was supposed to be house sitting. You know what I'm saying? And I was not, I was, in the moment, like I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, that kid didn't house sit again, you know? I wasn't, I'm not okay with that. Like, I, I, if you, maybe if you told me, sure, but they didn't tell me, and then I had to find out over video. You know, this is a different kind of situation. When it's your house, uh, you care about how it's handled, right? When, when, you're, when you're visiting, you know, if you're renting, uh, it's a different thing. When you own the house, when it's yours, uh, things matter differently to you. 
We've been walking through this, this series uh, this summer on the kingdom of God, like the, 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 this ending chunk of, of the Gospel of Luke is all about the kingdom. And we've been seeing what the kingdom is like. We've talked about who can be saved, the cost of being a disciple, entering the kingdom. We've talked about the heart of the Father towards his sons and his daughters. Even when we wander, we talked about that last week. It's been a great series looking at the kingdom of God and what it takes to be a part of that. We've come away with this clear picture as... Christ being the master of the kingdom of God. It's his kingdom. Like he's, he's ushering in this kingdom in the, in the gospel of Luke. And now for on our end, post-crucifixion resurrection, he's invited us into his kingdom. And we've been thinking about wrestling with what it would take for us to be a part of that kingdom. But it's his kingdom. And it changes things when you're the owner of it. When you're the owner of the house, it matters how it's handled for you. Uh, things that matter to me now, like, you know, when I, I remember being in college uh, and we were renting houses, we rented the worst houses. Most of them have been torn down now. Like, you can't even stay where I stayed in college, right? Uh, and so <laughs> the things we did in those houses um, don't happen in my house anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, we used to play ping pong in the dining room because if a ping pong paddle goes through the wall, that's just security deposit, you know? <laughs> and we blew through that security deposit like week one. So after that, it's all free, you know? And who cares? You know, it's just 500 bucks is gone and it ain't coming back. So let's play ping pong and if you put a hole in the wall, everybody, everybody's okay with it. Nobody plays ping pong in my house anymore. You put a paddle through my wall in my house, we're going to have some, some issues, you know? It's changed when you're the owner of the house. You and I, we've been invited into the master's kingdom. We've been invited into his house, into his family. It matters how we steward how we, how we care for what he has entrusted to us. It's not something that we don't, we don't steward what he's given us lightly or flippantly. We're in the master's house. We're in, the, we're in his kingdom. It matters how we use what he's given us. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus, he makes several connected points about how you and I are, are called to steward the kingdom. All right? That's what this whole chapter is about. It's like how you and I, if you're taking notes, this whole chapter is about how you and I are called to steward the kingdom. It's his kingdom. We've been invited into it. And so as those invited into it, how are we supposed to steward what he's given us? All right, there's, these, are, these are challenging passages here. These are not like easy, lightweight, quick, little flippant passages. There's probably some points that I'm not going to be able to hit as well as one might. Like this could be four sermons, Okay. Um, and so I, this, there may be some points when you need to take some notes and got some question marks some little pieces of a passage that I don't hit well enough. That may be something you like talk to a huddle leader about, talk to a friend about, get your ESV study Bible out, which I love my ESV study Bible. If you don't have one, get one. Like go do some, do some work on your own because I can't hit all of this, all right? All of them, are, though, are directed at the kind of stewards we're called to be in his kingdom. So the first thing, so we're going to start walking down through this. In verse 1, the first thing he talks about, Jesus calls stewards in his kingdom to be shrewd. All right? Shrewd. Now, we'll talk about what that word means. Let's, let's read it first. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 1, all the way down to verse 9, it says this. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And so he called him and he said to him, what is it that I, I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And so the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master's taken the management away from me, I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. This is what he did. So summoning his, his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? says, I own a hundred measures of oil. 
And he said, okay, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. Calls the next one in, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And so he said, all right, take your bill out, write, write 80. The master commanded the dishonest man. Okay, then it says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The master commends him, commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then Jesus says this about this. This is commentary on the parable, starts explaining what it means. It says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, if you'll make friends with yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, it's like not of the kingdom, just money, so that when, you, when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, remember, this is a parable. When you read Jesus' parable, Jesus is intentionally trying to make you think. And to make you think, a lot of times the parables are confusing. That's what Jesus is doing. He's like setting something before you that's intentionally confusing to make you wrestle with it. And this one, everybody's been wrestling with ever since. This one's hard, all right? And like this, there's this, this one seems like Jesus is praising dishonesty. And you're like, well, that can't be right. <laughs> you know what I'm but that's like if you just do a quick little easy light reading of the passage, you're like, mm, I think Jesus wants me to be dishonest. That's not it. That doesn't sound like it doesn't fit with everything else he teaches us, right? So look at, look at his explanation. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Like they're more, they're more shrewd in dealing with their generation than we are. He's saying that those people, like, the, like if you're not in the kingdom of God, the people outside the kingdom of God are more shrewd in dealing with other people outside the kingdom of God than we are inside of it. Saying that we don't exercise shrewdness. We don't exercise wisdom or like, like in, intentional thought in the same way that people outside the kingdom do. As I tell you, make friends for yourself a means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into, into eternal dwellings. It's not about trying to pull something around, you know, make, you know, be shrewd in this life to handle your life now. It's about eternal dwellings. So he's not saying be dishonest or be shrewd just in this life or this life. That's not what he's talking about. He's like, we're in a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And inside the kingdom of God, we should be shrewd with what's been given to us to secure eternity. Like to, to, to leverage what we have now for the sake of eternity. Jesus calls this guy shrewd. It, it, like shrewd for us, like it, means, it means clever. It means intentional. It means sharp, wise. Right? You take all those words together. That's, that's what, I know you didn't say the word shrewd this week, okay? So like that's, that's kind of what the thrust of that word is. Clever, intentional, sharp, and wise. And Jesus calls this, this, this guy shrewd for leveraging what had been entrusted to him for long-term benefit. And he says, we don't do the same thing. Here's the point for us as Christians. Like Christians, you've been given something far more important to steward. You've given far, something far more important than just wealth here uh, to steward. What are you doing with it? That's the point. Like, are, are you leveraging what's been given to you here for long-term impact in eternity? Are you leveraging your time for long-term impact in eternity? Are you le- leveraging your energy? Are you leveraging your relationships? Are you leveraging your money for long-term impact in the kingdom? Verse 9 says, like, our wealth here is going to fail, okay? Like, I know, like, if you're, if you're a college student, you're, like, looking forward to that career, looking forward to that first real paycheck. It's like, your wealth here is going to fail. Those of us who are in the median season, like, we got all these kids we're trying to take care of and stuff. We're like, man, if we just had another $1,000 a month, which I know if you're younger than us, like, once you're, like, an adult, $1,000 a month is, like, 
20 bucks. I don't understand how money goes away so fast. Anyway, so like, if we just had like, another, like a little bit more, we'd have a little bit more. He's like, no, nah, it's going to fail, right? Those of us who are in the retirement season, we're like, well, it's all failing. That's just how it works. You know, there's just, there's, are you leveraging what's been given to you now for long-term impact? Jesus is saying faithful stewards in the kingdom are shrewd. Faithful, faithful stewards in the kingdom, they're shrewd. They're, they're wise. They're crabbed. Like they're intentionally thinking about how to make the most impact in eternity with what's been given to them now. What are you doing with what's been given to you now? You're in a different kingdom. You know what lasts. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in the room, we, you've, you've thought about this. You've figured out how everything in this life fades and fails, and there's this eternal glory, this eternal hope that we can run after and like leverage our lives here for. That when we're sharing the gospel like friends and stuff, it's not just about this transactional thing right now. This impacts eternity. So instead of like blindingly going along with what everyone else is doing and what everybody else tells you to live their life for and how many square feet everybody else tells you that you need to have, we've got to exercise some shrewdness to say yes to some opportunities and say no to some other opportunities. Like to, that's what a shrewd investor does, right? A shrewd investor knows where to, where to invest themselves for long-term impact and where not to invest themselves. I remember, uh, a few years ago, I, I got a lot of phone calls. I got the spam calls thing, like before the app started coming to tell you who was spam, you just had to answer the phone. It was really annoying. And uh, I got on this, I don't know how I got on this list, but I got on a list about like vacation packages. Any of you else, anybody else get like a, like 2,000 phone calls about vacation packages and cruises and stuff? Yeah, okay. I'm supposed to be shrewd enough for this, right? Like we all know that's not real. So I got like, like phone call after phone call after phone call about trying to buy this vacation package. And I'm like, nope, I'd hung up. One day though, this one guy, he got me. Like on a spam call, like got me. And I'm not like a super naive kind of person. I love hanging up on people, you know? And somehow this guy got his foot in the door and he's like, just talking to me like he's just my bro, you know? And he's just like, listen, man, I'm, 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 not, I'm not messing around. Like legit, this is kind of stupid of you not to do. All right, let me send you the, like, the free thing, okay? And then you just, you just trash it. It's not a big deal. Like, just, you're just being kind of stupid right now. And he was kind of mean to me. And it worked. And I was like, I'm not stupid. You're stupid, you know? Yeah. And the next thing I know, I've got to, like, I've signed up for something. And, like, I owe somebody money. And I've got to, like, find a phone number of the spam company to cancel and stuff. Like, dude, got me. I'm supposed to be more shrewd than that. So are you. But in our life, repeatedly, we get tricked into chasing around everything the world tells us you're supposed to chase around with no impact for eternity, chasing around a bunch of junk that's going to fade. You're supposed to be more shrewd than that. With your life, with your time, with your energy, with your money, are you chasing a bunch of stuff that's only for this life? Because every bit of it's going to fade. We've got to be more shrewd than that. Stewards in the kingdom are shrewd. And we ain't as shrewd as we think. Second, Jesus calls us to be kingdom stewards who are faithful. It's not only, not only shrewd, but it's also faithful. Look at verse 10. He says, all right, so one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, that's world that's money now, in unrighteous wealth, who's going to entrust you to true riches? And if you haven't been faithful in, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
can't do it. All right, so the guy in the first parable, right, he was shrewd. He was wise, crafty, but he was not faithful. So Jesus is illustrating, like, yeah, you got to be shrewd, but then he comes back and around. He's like, okay, you also have to be faithful. You can't be dishonest in the way that you're being in your shrewdness. That's not the way this works. So there's shrewdness, but there's also faithfulness added in. Jesus circles back. And he like, so he's telling us about the difference here between uh, like a dishonest shrewdness and a faithful shrewdness, right? Look at what he talks about how you can tell how someone uh, is faithful or their faithlessness kind of off what they do with very little. You can tell how someone, how trustworthy someone is. If you look at what somebody will do with a little bit, it'll tell you how they'll do with a lot. The little kid who's responsible with his allowance is probably going to be responsible with a paycheck. You know, the young man who's unfaithful with his girlfriend is going to be unfaithful with his wife. Like you're trusted, what you do with little is what you're going to do with much. So how you doing with your with your very little? You know, like I, I, see what he uses as a litmus test. He, he, he uses the litmus test of money. We're going to judge our, our faithfulness and how well we're willing to do what he called us to do, how well, how shrewd we are in like investing in eternity, the, the easiest metric. The, the, it's actually the, the, the thing that he calls the little thing, the unimportant, the least important is your money. Verse 11, he says, if you haven't been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who's going to entrust you to true riches? Y'all, that was super convicting to me. I'm working through this this past week, trying to write this thing out and preparing and praying through this thing. And I get to this, if I haven't been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who's going to trust me with true riches? And I got to sit there and think, like, am I being faithful in my finances in, like, a real and true and deep way? Am I, like, leveraging what God's giving me and my family? Like, I mean, am I leveraging that for kingdom impact or just comfort here? Am I being shrewd and faithful? I love that he considers wealth the very little thing. Like the, the very smallest thing that God can entrust you with is some money. That's the least important. That is not the true riches. He's saying, I'm watching. Like I'm, I'm observing. Like if you, in the kingdom, the master, he's, it's his house, right? He's observing how you're handling your money, my money. Like he's observing how we're doing that to, to decide, like determine what he can actually trust us with. Those true riches can be entrusted to us. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. There's only one master in the kingdom, right? There's only one owner of the house. It's his house. You can either serve him or you're in a different kingdom. If you have a different master than this master, you're not serving him, like, then you're not in his kingdom. You're still in the kingdom of the world. Scripture's really clear on that. Like, if you're not in his kingdom, you're still in the kingdom of the world, and the kingdom of the world leads to death. There is no hope. Its end is here. That's all there is. Living my life for the master of money or accolade or comfort or achievement, if I'm living my life for any of those masters, they're now my God. That's idolatry, and I'm not in the kingdom of God. Christians, we got to be careful with that. Because Jesus is sitting here talking to a group of Pharisees who are claiming that they are like God's people. They are the, the best and the most and the closest to God. And the entire time Jesus is saying, listen, you're, you're living your life for a different master. It ain't me, and you ain't in the kingdom. They, can, they claimed all the religiosity in the world, all the righteousness before God in the world, but it didn't show up in their, in their faithfulness and it didn't show up in their shrewdness of leveraging their life for eternity. So I had to stop and think. How am I, like, how am I doing steward, stewarding my resources? How am I doing, like, steward, like, faithfully stewarding my wealth for the kingdom? Would my stewardship indicate that God can trust me with true riches? That's a high bar. 
Like, like can, I, can my stewardship indicate that God can trust me with true riches? So I would set that metric in front of you too, like Christians in the room, my friends in the room who are believers already that, that are claiming this kingdom, right? How are you doing? How are you doing in faithfully managing, faithfully steward what God's given you? So Jesus calls us to be shrewd, and he also calls us to be faithful. Then he adds another one. Now he adds obedient. It's not just faithful to what we think we need to do. It's obedient to what he says we're supposed to do. So it's not even like you just get to make it up. Luke 16, uh, 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, they heard all this stuff, and they ridiculed him. They're hearing Jesus like pointing out some deep heart issues. He's not even calling them out by name right now. He's just addressing some heart issues for them, and they're ridiculing. They can't stand to hear this because it's pointing out all of the brokenness and all of the idolatry of their heart. And so Jesus turns back around. He says to them, listen, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Then he quotes a part. He says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. He who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Seems weird to have this divorce bit down here at the bottom. We're going to get to that. All right? These Pharisees are standing around listening. Luke says that they're lovers of money. That's, in, that's, 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 what, that's what Luke's like, remind, like, telling us this account. Jesus says, you guys are lovers of, of money. So immediately they balk at what he's saying. Jesus presses in and starts pointing out how that love of money plays out for them. How, that's, how the love of money is indicative, not just of like, oh, I'm just I'm, I'm kind of uh, miserly with my money or something. It's not indicative of that. It's more serious than that. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of their life. It's an issue of their obedience. Verse 15, like you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. He's saying you're trying to act like you have it all together. You're trying to act like you're in the kingdom, but you're not in the kingdom. God knows your heart. Sometimes people use this bit about God knows your heart to like try to justify themselves. Um, Sometimes we do it with each other. We're like, I know I forgot to get you a birthday present, but you know my heart. No, what's your heart means you don't care. Like, and you're forgetful and lazy. Tell Siri to set a reminder, dude. Like, you know, that's what your heart says, okay? Like, you've, you're like, I know I forgot our anniversary, but I, I, you know my heart, though. You know I love No, you don't. Like, you lazy. This is beyond. That's what, that's what it means. Same thing with God. People do that with God. Like, yeah, I know I did it, you know, whatever. Like, all this, you know. I'm not living for him. kind of living opposite of him. It really kind of looks like I don't really care anything about him. But God knows my heart. Yeah, he does but not in a way that justifies you. Not in a way that like somehow exalts you, like that, 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 that like hard intention with no obedience, with no faithfulness, somehow that counts. No, he knows your heart. That compared to whatever else in the world that shows up for you to invest your life in, you care more about that than you do following him and invest in the kingdom. He knows your heart. So instead of excusing the Pharisees about like how they... Look on the outside, he presses in. Verse 16 and 17 says, The law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news of the kingdom was preached. That's why everybody forcing their way into it, that there's an intentionality of pressing into the kingdom. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one daughter of the law to become void. He calls them to obedience to the word. 
He leaves the money analogy for a little while, and he starts pressing in about obedience to the word. Calls him to press into the kingdom, and then like talks about how like, but inside of that, like we're not washing away, we're not watering down one <laughs> bit of the word of God. That's, what's interesting here is that <laughs> uh, the Pharisees repeatedly, as you're going through the Gospels, you start hearing about how like the Pharisees tried to raise up certain parts of the word, certain parts of the law, but then other parts they would ignore completely or water it down so far that it was devoid of meaning. That's what Jesus is coming around to. He's pointing out that they're not really living in obedience to the word in some really significant areas, far more significant than just what you do with your money. That's why he brings up the divorce issue. Like there's, 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 there's being faithful with money and there's being faithful with far greater things like your marriage relationships and how you're stewarding those and how you're caring for those and what you're, how you're acting inside of something far more significant than your bank account. So what had happened is the Pharisees had started overlooking parts of Scripture and watering them down, and, and specifically the areas that were inconvenient to them. They worked around those parts, and they taught um, each other that, that certain parts of the word could be ignored or modified or really didn't mean that. It really means this, and then that's, they'd done some gymnastics with the word of God to get out of some parts. And a primary example of that was divorce. What they did with uh, divorce was that they had watered it down so far that you could divorce your wife for just about anything, like literally. Like rabbis were teaching that you could divorce your wife if she burned your food. Like you can divorce your wife if she's a bad cook, <laughs> You're like, for real? And they're like, yeah, that's what the word says. Jesus walks in and he's like, um, no, it doesn't. You know, like that's, that's, that's like, you could, <laughs> you could divorce for literally almost anything. But like Malachi 2 clearly lays out how much God hates divorce. Jesus shows up and says, listen, being a shrewd and faithful and obedient servant in the kingdom means being obedient to his word, even if it's inconvenient to you. Squandering what God holds as good and holy is faithless and disobedient. So these Pharisees, they looked apart. They looked like they were being obedient to the word, but they were actually watering it down and warping it. Now listen, there's, there's some biblical reason for divorce. Like there's, there's, there's Matthew 5. Like there's, there's portions of Scripture which talk about when, a, when like if, if, if a spouse breaks their marriage covenant, before God, and they like they walk away like in unfaithfulness. They're the one who ended the covenant. That's a different thing. Then your wife is bad at cooking, right? There's biblical. There's biblical stuff. They're not. They're not focused on like the the biblical man like biblical instruction on 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 God's heart toward divorce. They're just trying to chase around their convenience. So they're watering down these passages. They're ignoring these passages that talk about God's heart for marriage so they can do what they want. That happens all the time now where we water down passages that seem inconvenient to our culture so that we can do what we want. We can believe what we want. We can stand for what we want. We can ignore what we want. That's not being obedient to the word. That's being convenient. Jesus' day, the biggest highlight of that happened to be divorce. That's the, that's the issue he pulled out. I don't think he would pull that one today. Maybe he would, but there's some others he'd add too. If we're going to be in his kingdom, we've got to be shrewd, we've got to be faithful, we've got to be obedient to that word, 
even when it doesn't make sense to me, even when there's something in there that like, ooh, that hurts a little bit. It would be a lot more convenient if I explained that passage away. No, Jesus isn't doing that. He says not one bit of this thing's going to wash away. If you're going to be in the kingdom, there's an obedience to the word. So let me ask you a few things. Like, so if you're talking, Jesus basically elevates it past the money. So he talks about stewarding in ways that are obedience. How are you stewarding the things that are way more important than money? How are you stewarding, like your marriage? If you're married in the room, how are you, stewards, how are you stewarding your marriage? Are you treating your marriage? Or are you behaving inside your marriage like in a way that reflects God's heart toward marriage, treating it as holy and precious? What about your kids? In the Shema, we're called to like speak of the Lord and disciple our kids well, like, but things get busy, a lot of stuff happens, right? How are you discipling your kids? Are you cherishing that, honoring that relationship in the way that God has? How are you, if you're single in the room, God's going to, like, there's passages like repeatedly talk about the benefit and the opportunity of singleness. Like, are you stewarding singleness well for the end, for eternity? Or are you just praying a whole lot that God ends the singleness season and gives you somebody, right? Like, are you, are you, how are you stewarding singleness? How are you stewarding your friendship? And then when it comes to obedience, like when he calls us into obedience to the word, like are there passages that are inconvenient to you that you've sidestepped, and watered down and ignored and said, mm, I don't know what that means, but it can't mean that because I believe this and I think that and I want to do this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circumnavigate that one. I'm going to go back over here to John 3.16, you know. So Christians, we're supposed to be, we're called to be. It's his house, right? So if we're stewarding what he's given us in his house, we're called to be stewards who are shrewd, who like have the end in mind. They're leveraging what we have now for, for in, eternal impact. We're called to be faithful in that, not dishonest or weird about it, but like faithfully steward what he's given us. And we're called to be obedient to the word, not just making up what's right on our own, not just looking good. How are you stewarding these things? How are you stewarding your income and your time and your energy? If you're looking at those metrics and saying, like, okay, if he's saying, like, if the faithfulness piece, if, if how I'm handling my finances indicates what I can be trusted with long term, what does that say? How are you stewarding those things? So there's some points. Your obedience, your faithfulness, your shrewdness um, would require some adjustment. I know for me, when I'm walking through this, I knew what my points were. All right, I'm going to write them down. I know it. There's some pieces I need to work on. I know there are for you as well. What would it look like for this next week for you to take steps toward being a shrewd and faithful and obedient servant in the kingdom? If that wasn't enough, uh, Jesus brings this, this, this conversation to a close with an exclamation point. He calls us to these things, right? But then he puts an exclamation point on this at the end, and it's one of those stories that like sticks in your heart when you go through it. It's almost like Jesus like encapsulates this, puts a bookend on it to make it stick. This is what he says in 19. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at the gate, his gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. One who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried in, in Hades, being in torment. 
He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and just cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Abraham said, child, I remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in anguish there. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, okay, then, then, then I beg you, fathers, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they, he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, father, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, we don't have time to break everything down in that passage. Would love to. There's two people. There's a rich man. There's Lazarus. There's two kingdoms. The rich man lived for this world and its masters. He invested heavily in this world and its masters was shrewd for this world and its masters. And the poor man, little as he had, had trusted the king of a different kingdom. And so they find themselves in two places. One is in a place of anguish and one is in a place of peace. This will be a passage I'd love for you to spend some time on and wrestle with this, this week. But I just want to say this. Like, I meet a lot of people who like to think they're Lazarus while they're living like the rich man. I mean, a lot of people who think they're Lazarus, but they're stewarding their life. They're leveraging their life. They're obedient to the masters of this kingdom on earth. Not serving the king. I want to fearfully remind you that the kingdom you live for in this life dictates the kingdom that you enter for eternity. And I don't take that lightly. Like That's a fearful thing to say. I want to give you the good news of this. Like Christ died to rescue you from that kingdom so that you could enter his. Christ left his kingdom, like dove into earth to get between you and the wrath that you had earned, to rescue you from that kingdom that leads to death, to invite you into his kingdom, a kingdom that leads to life. But you can't serve two masters. Can't serve two masters. Looking at the way that you're stewarding your money, stewarding your life, looking at your relationships, looking at your obedience to the word, looking at your love for the Lord, like actual, tangible expressions of love for the Lord. Whose kingdom are you in? Who's your king? Our band's going to come and lead us in a time of response. And as they do, I, I just, I, I want you to just, I want you to wrestle with that, like. I meet a lot of people who want to say they're Lazarus. A lot of people may like look like it. Like I got all the pieces in order. You know, I'm doing all these right things. I'm serving. I'm part of a church. Like I'm doing all this right stuff. Or I'm just, I'm a really nice person. I'm good to people. Like doesn't that count? God knows my heart. The only thing that counts between these two kingdoms is the king. Who's your king? Who are you following? Who are you obedient to? Who are you faithful to? Who are you shrewdly leveraging this life for? Because if it's your beach house, 
And that's the end. That's your kingdom. If it's your comfort and your security, if it's finding somebody to marry, if it's, like, if it's just you getting to do what you want to do, then you're your king. Thankfully and graciously, God's made it possible for you to leave behind a kingdom that's going to fade, that's going to fail, that's going to impact your eternity. It's a way to rescue you from that and invite you into his kingdom. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.